welcome back to a special midweek edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. A lot of stuff happened since the last time that we really spoke here, so we thought rather than wait till Monday, let's jump back on the horn. Let's break down some of these moves because we were talking about it with my co-host Matt Sells at the Sellsman on Twitter, and we were talking about it. it's like every time we jump on, something is going to happen the second that we get off. That's just how it works, and. Not quite that way this week, but it was pretty darn close to it. So before we get into it, I want to uh, basically exchange pleasantries with my co-host Matt Sells at The Sells Man on Twitter. So Matt, how is everything going for you? I'm doing fantastic. I re-signed my MLB.TV subscription and added MILB.TV in there for uh, less than the regular price, which was super nice. And so now I get all of the baseball that I want to watch, their spring training games, kicking off as we're recording this um leading into this you've been uh, waxing poetic about how byron buxton is going to go a thousand for a thousand for a thousand for a thousand this year uh in hits and homers and steals and whatnot all because he got one hit in his first spring training at bat um so yeah so all is glorious you're hyping byron buxton i'm watching baseball uh and we're talking about some serious free agent moves and trades today so not a single thing wrong with that yeah it's definitely a good start as we're we're recording here on thursday afternoon and as we talked about 1 13 p.m eastern time on the east coast and byron buxton has already won for one with a single and a stolen base so <laughs> not much can be improved upon here in my neck of the woods so a lot of stuff happened since the last time we talked like we said so before we get into all the trades and signings and a lot of that's already written up on fantasyalarm.com, whether it be in the draft guide, if it's updates to articles in the draft guide or one-off articles um, that various folks here at Fantasy Alarm put out, all of it is there. But we figured let's bring those words, put them into in spoken form, essentially, and talk about it here on the podcast again in a special midweek edition. But before all the trades and all the signings, there were some unfortunate things that occurred that we do have to discuss here. One of the biggest has to be for a rather tumultuous offseason for the Boston Red Sox and that they seem to be in on a lot of people. They're not able to bring a lot in, it kind of seems like. And then when they have their own, we have the news with Chris Sale, who he is going to miss opening day and the extent of how long he'll be out. It seems like we don't quite know to that extent. So as we see here, um, if you haven't been on the site lately, uh, Howard Bender is doing a lot of roundups with injury signings everything all that good stuff so what we saw is that buster only had said that chris sale is a stress fracture in his rib cage not ready for the start of the season to me it sounds like we're talking weeks and not days the season's only a couple weeks away so the obvious answer here is do you drop chris sale a bit in your rankings yes now the next question is about how far does he go because we really don't have much information other than stress fracture rib cage and not ready for the start of the season that's what we have so far Right. Um, so for those of you that don't know, stress fractures, basically the best way to treat them is to rest, right, and let it heal itself. There's not much you can do. You can't cast it. Generally speaking, you're not going to get a surgery for it. And this is a ribs, which is, you know, also a spot where you don't generally do anything for broken ribs, right? That You just kind of tape them up and, you know, deal with the pain, I guess. So my question would be, like, which side is it on? Is it on his throwing side or his non-throwing side? Because I would think that the pain would be easier to deal with if it's on his non-throwing side. Um, you know, so I, I think for him it's going to come down to pain management 
really, um, and whether or not he can do any more damage by going out there and throwing. So I think he's going to miss a few starts for sure. Um, so with that in mind, I drop him a few spot. Like if you're in the AL only leagues, I drop him. I don't know four or five spots in your rankings. Um, if you're in a mixed league, probably maybe more like 15 to 20, depending on how you have them spaced out. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a fall instead of, you know, kind of an SP2. We're kind of looking at them more like an SP3 right now. Absolutely. And the thing that kind of has me just a little skeptical about it is, Ultimately, what stress fractures are, they're tiny cracks in a bone. And typically, you hear it a lot with, like, stress fractures in, like, a shin with, like, shin splints. And what does right. that cause from? Constant running. And there's some other elements involved into it, too. But repetitive force is essentially what does it. So is the time off going to fix this? Or is this a matter of once he gets out there, he's throwing 100 pitches every outing? Does it pop back up again here and there? And you hear people talk about, like, in the NFL, like, Drew Brees was able to play with broken ribs, but he explained how immensely painful it was. Ribs are very finicky is a word that I would use. So I think you're right. Like, he's not completely off my draft board at all. Like, we might right. only be talking two starts. We might only be talking three starts. And he, obviously, when he's healthy, he's a guy that you want on your team. Strikeouts are there. And I mean, like I said, I think you're right in the SP3 range. Does it carry a little bit more risk? Sure, maybe you have to alter. If you still know that you want a Chris Sale type with this news, maybe you don't make a Zach Wheeler type who has injury question marks as one of your top two starters beforehand. Right. So maybe it affects – so maybe it's not really what you do after it, but maybe if you are a Chris Sale truther or stan, and I guess is that's the new term for it, your first two pitchers that you take, you're going to go into the season with full health and full availability. Right, for sure. You're not going to – I mean, maybe the next pitcher after you get is a buffer for sale. But the other trick with the stress fracture in the ribs is that, you know, if it's getting later into a game and he's working harder, breathing heavier, you know, taking deeper breaths is going to be painful to do because every time you expand your lungs, you expand your ribs. And so if there's, um, you know, basically a broken bone in there, it's going to hurt quite a lot. Um Probably not as much as Drew Brees because he was getting hit left, right, and sideways and had to wear a flak jacket on top of him. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely not the news you wanted for uh, if you're a Red Sox fan for the uh, ace of your rotation there. And still on the mound. This one hurts me a lot more, so I don't want to talk about this one too long or else I'll you know, conveniently lose internet connection or you'll hear some sniffling in the background. But the Jack Flaherty shoulder exam issue is a big problem for – Basically, everything I've wrote this offseason, any question that was poised between Flaherty or or player A, player B, or Flaherty, I was very big on Jack Flaherty this year. Sounds like he's going for a shoulder exam. And in the roundup from March 16th that Howard wrote, um, actually mentioned that Jim Bowden had texted someone close to the situation, and it was a not good, was kind of the extent of that. So I am not very optimistic about this. Most of my shares of Jack Flaherty have come Obviously, in leagues that have already drafted in recent drafts, I haven't taken him yet because of this news, but I've done quite a few drafts, as you can probably expect, and there is a very high ownership of Jack Flaherty. So where are our thoughts right now around the St. Louis right-hander? Yeah, until we get more information, he's off my draft board right now. I, I cannot trust um, uh, a um, pitcher with a shoulder issue. Um 
you know, we've talked about this before a couple of times on this podcast now that elbows are kind of less of a concern for pitchers at this point, and shoulders are a major concern for pitchers because there's just so much finicky stuff that can go on there that causes um, other problems. So until we get more information on, you know, what exactly the issue is, what the rehab looks like, if there's surgery involved, time frames, he is off my draft board. I cannot, which frustrates me because I did, in fact, take him in a best ball um, about a week ago with Howard um, because I just like what I've seen from him coming back uh, last year. And if he was healthy, he'd be fantastic. Not healthy, though, so I, I, I can't I can't risk it right now. And then... Absolutely. And then another right-hander, we have Zach Gallen. Uh, he had some arm issues last year, really throughout most of the season, to be honest. Struggled with command. And now it's just a little news that there might be a little rumblings and some things. So he's going through some sessions. So um, Howard even mentioned if the shoulder doesn't flare up, he's still willing to take a chance on him. I, I, I'm i in a keeper league where I'm keeping Zach Gallen, but the pitcher point scale is rather inflated. So pitchers are just incredibly valuable. So any pitcher that has a pulse is basically kept. So, like, I'm keeping Gallon there, but just the arm issues dating back to last year. Now we're coming into the season with health concerns. He's, for drafts that, for me, that are upcoming, he's moving, dare I say, almost off my board. Uh, where do you fall with Zach Gallon right now with some of this most recent news? Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, I was kind of big on Zach Gallon heading into last year uh, for the strikeout rate and and – you know, the filthy stuff he has. But then he had that dead arm, and then he had some other uh, injury things when he came back. He lasted, like, two or three starts and then went back on the IL and was basically done for the year. And now we get this. So I'm concerned that one is leading into another, and they haven't figured out the root cause of the problem yet. Um, but the other thing is you got to be mindful of the division he plays in and the offense that's theoretically backing him up. Diamondbacks don't have that great of an offense. There are some intriguing bats. Yes, Cattell Marte is there, Dalton Varsho, sure. That's about the extent of it. Paven Smith, so-so. Um, you know, Carson Kelly, so-so. Uh, Christian Walker, so-so. And then Park doesn't really help pitchers all that all that much. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of putting him in the Jack Flaherty category at this point. Um, where if I need strikeouts late in the draft, there are other ways I could go. I could find guys that are kind of in fifth or sixth starter roles or long relievers. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm off of Zach Allen. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame too. Very talented right-hander. Perhaps if you're going to take a chance on like a Flaherty or Gallon, if you get them to fall enough in drafts, maybe earlier on you get a top starter that doesn't have any injury concerns at the moment. And then maybe you add a hater. So that way, if you only get 120 innings from sale, you have 70, 60, 70 dominant innings from Josh Hader to kind of, you know, bridge that gap. Offensively speaking, Ronald Acuna, this isn't really anything new. We knew he would be delayed to start the season. The thoughts of the lockout delaying the season further were basically saying he was going to miss less and less time. Uh, I believe the report is somewhere around May we're expecting mid Maybe mid-May, I think, is what I saw. So, Ron Acuna, this news doesn't, again, it's nothing new, so it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm pushing Acuna up seven spots on my board. 
honestly, that would put him up at basically number one. So it seems pretty status quo for Acuna. And now we're basically just hoping for no more setbacks. That's pretty much what I gather. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all saw the videos in the offseason. It was pretty standard rehab stuff. And if you do the timeline, he got hurt late June, uh, had the surgery in July. So, yeah, timeline fits to come back in May, right? I don't, it's not all that uncommon to take eight, nine months to come back from an ACL. I know we're used to, you know, some guys coming back in six months. That's pretty freakish. And the guys that come back in six months usually get off to slow starts and are on restrictions for a little bit. Um, so this isn't terribly shocking. Um, I do still think he's one of the top five outfielders, even coming back in May, because he's going to make up what you know he did, he lost in April. He'll make that up the rest of the way. And you know, losing Freddie Freeman in that lineup doesn't hurt you when you get Matt Olson in that lineup. So the yep. stats will and, be the same. Yep. Yeah, and the thing when it comes to the Cunha, maybe when he first comes back, I'm not worried about the the bat and what he does in the batter's box. Maybe he doesn't run as much. But he can do enough with the bat to. His his whole fantasy value isn't predicated all on a stolen basis, so even a slight dip there because they're easing him back into things, he's going to be just fine at the dish. And now you're right. He does have Matt Olson in the mix. Over on Fantasy Alarm, I wrote up this full trade with an overlay of Olsen at Truist Park. Spoiler alert, exciting, very good. Talk about his home and road numbers over the last couple of years in Oakland. Spoiler alert, road numbers were far better. And just all in all, this is a great spot for him. He gets paid. He gets to go to a team. His supporting cast drastically improves as you look at Oakland's literally trading anybody with a pulse. So he was just the first, really one of the first dominoes to fall. So he's going to be just fine in Atlanta. I'm thinking he his upside this year, I mean, he almost did it last year. But, I mean, ultimately, we could be talking 40-plus homers, 100 runs, 100 RBI with a good enough team around him. So Matt Olson is going to be a beast in Atlanta. And when you look, I referenced your prospect rankings and what Oakland got back. Uh, you might have actually updated this because I saw you had an update recently. But at the time, it was their third, fourth, and eighth ranked prospect. And then the the youngster, his name, Joey Estes, was he wasn't on your ranking. He's just super young. He's a couple years away, but he's got some pretty good potential there. So I know you didn't write this article. You had some thoughts on this deal as well. I think it's a win. Actually, let me take that back. I think it's a big win for Atlanta to put Olsen in that lineup. And for us fantasy managers, those who have Olsen, he's still going to be the first, or I'm sorry, the second first baseman off the board. Maybe someone will push them above, above Vladdy if they want to. I don't really know about that. But for me, he doesn't, he gains value in that it's a better home park and a better lineup situation around him. But he's still, at the end of the day, my number two first baseman. He's your number two, not number three? I I would put him. At, He's ahead of Freeman for you. Well, now with the news, I still I think, uh, yes, yes, I'll, I'll I'll jump that fence. I'll put Olson at two over Freeman, but it's it's damn close. Okay, I mean I could go either way. Um, obviously Freeman basically goes to he holds steady with the lineup he went to, but the trade for Olson was very very good for Atlanta. Um, I'm not entirely sure what Oakland sees in Christian Pache. He's been up with the Braves a couple of times in short spurts and just his look like a defensive guy. Doesn't look like his bat is going to play very well at all in the majors. I mean, he'll hit a little bit of average and he's got some speed, but there's no 
there's relatively little pop there. Um, and so I guess if Oakland wants that style of player, sure, that fits them. Uh, Shea Langoliers, very good catching prospect, but Oakland already has Tyler Soderstrom, who in my rankings is 15th overall, um, that they could, I guess, move to first base because now they need a first baseman. Um, but yeah, I mean, it not it, not nearly the prospect package you would expect would have taken it would have taken to get Olsen, who, by the way, still had I'm pretty sure two years of team control left, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, and then signing Matt Olsen to a what an eight year deal for less than market value was pretty impressive. And now basically both guys get to go home, right? Because Matt Olsen is a is a hometown kid in Atlanta. And Freddie Freeman going to the Dodgers. He lives in, I mean, obviously he was born in Canada, but like he lives in Orange County. He was drafted out of Orange County. So he basically gets to go home. And then the other trade that happened, you actually got to write this one up. So I am going to let you take the, basically just take the wheel here and run this. But uh, it's a couple bats from Cincinnati heading out west. So go ahead and break down that trade for us. Yeah, so Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez went in the same deal from Cincinnati to the Mariners um, in what was basically another fleecing because I don't think the Reds got back what they should have gotten back. Um, But, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's kind of a crowded outfield in Seattle, but they'll make room for Jesse Winker for sure. Um, They needed a third baseman because Kyle Seager – uh, retired, and so, you know, not really a bat in that system that was going to play a good third base, so now they get a Eugenio Suarez to do that. Yeah, he's a little defensively challenged, but not, you know, he's a much better bat than Kyle Seager was. Um, he'll need the average to come back. I do think, despite what we've seen in Park Factors from T-Mobile Park, I do think this is a pretty lateral move for both of these guys power-wise. If you go to StatCast, and I put this in my article that's free up on Fantasy Alarm. Um, If you go to uh, Baseball Savant and use their Illustrator and you do the overlay of their spray charts for the last three years for both of them on top of T-Mobile Park, they actually gained some home runs. Um, So... You know, we've heard T-Mobile Park be a little bit more pitcher-friendly, but I think that's mainly due to the lack of offenses that have come into T-Mobile Park previously. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a lateral move for those two. Um, Seattle's offense is a lot deeper now than it was last year. And we'll see if Eugenio Suarez's um, batting average can come up, because obviously it was not great last year, but he has hit a boatload of home runs in the last three years, like 95 of them in the last three years. So um, that's a pretty good move for Seattle, Cincinnati. Obviously, it's a fire sale situation at this point, but they didn't even get, uh, you know, they got an okay haul for it. I would say that the A's did better for Olsen than the Reds did for Winker and Suarez, but um, you know, each team values different prospects differently, so we'll see. Uh, Brandon Williamson is the prospect headed to Cincinnati. You're going to want to keep your eye on in that one. Yep, and again, make sure you check out uh, everything that Matt wrote up about this trade, basically calling Brandon Williams like a, 
or saying that some of the comps end up being like a younger Blake Snell. So could be interesting. He'll be the key piece there. It's it's hard to get excited with what Cincinnati got back. Like, yes, Jake Fraley is going to a good park and Great America Small Park. But the issue, even with Winker in Cincinnati and them there, was they have a lot of bats that are all going to just play on their splits. They're going to yep. platoon most of them. Some will get more time than others. But Fraley just is now another cog in that machine there in Cincinnati. So, again, make sure you check out that article because – we always talk about when people leave these great hitter parks, oh, they're screwed, oh, it's over. And those charts are pretty interesting. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of non-purple, actually that's pink, non-pink dots there are in the outfield that would be home run some of these parks. So make sure you check that one out. Another trade that we had was Matt Chapman going to Toronto. It's all about a team that's fire selling again is the Oakland Athletics. So Chapman goes over to Toronto. Yes, Great offense to be in, improved supporting cast, not going to fix his batting average and strikeout woes, should help his counting stats. The power is legit. One could argue the biggest winner in the whole thing are the five men that are going to occupy the starting rotation for Toronto and the relievers and everything like that. Any of the pitchers in Toronto, because Chapman is a wizard at third base. So, yes, not every ground ball goes to third base. He can't play every position in the infield. But for a team statistically that was below average defensively last year, Chapman's going to bring a lot to that team defensively. And again, just because he goes to Toronto is not going to fix the batting average and strikeouts. He still is who he is offensively, but the supporting cast is better. So that'll help his counting stats and the pitchers get a slight bump as well, even being in a pretty bad division for pitchers. Well, so you're saying the strikeout rate is, is who he is, right? But here's my question. Can we see a rise in his average and a reduction in his strikeout rate because of the lineup he's in now. Because if you look back, yes, Oakland won, had a winning percentage of 579 over the last four years, right? But who were the two big bats in that lineup all the time? It was Olsen and Chapman, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit of Kana was in there. Ramon Laureano, when he wasn't being suspended or injured, was in there. Um, yeah, Simeon was there for a couple of years, I guess, in there. Um but it's mainly, you know, the, the main drop we've seen is the last two years. So is it a product of him fishing for, I've got to be the guy that produces stuff because the rest of this lineup is terrible? Or is that who he is and he's just defense with a big power bat? Because it, when he goes to Toronto, that is a stacked lineup. Like, super stacked. Like, if you have Kavan Biggio... As your ninth hitter, that's a pretty good lineup. Um, So I wonder if he's now going to get more pitches to see and we'll see a reduction in strikeout and a a higher batting average. Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be more protection in that lineup. It's if let me say it this way. It's a good thing you got traded because his, you know, Olsen got out there first because then he'd be the only one in there and they would just say, oh, this guy's going to strike out of time. We're just going to pitch around him and go from there. So there is some optimism. Yeah, the strikeouts have become a problem the last two years. And if you look in terms of percent percentiles, past two years has been the third percentile where the years before it was 31, 31st and 45th percentile. He doesn't have to become a 15% strikeout rate guy. I mean, just any improvement at all will be beneficial. And in, in your hypothetical, yes, he could definitely see pitches to pit, depending to hit, depending where they put him in the lineup. And honestly, really wherever they put him in the lineup, thanks to Toronto and everything that they have to offer, he's going to have protection no matter what. Yeah, right. I mean, they've got their infield right now is Vlad, Kevin, Kevon Biggio, 
Bo Bichette, uh, Matt Chapman, and then you've got Lourdes Gurriel in the outfield. You've got George Springer in the outfield. Um, so, yeah, we've got – and there's some some talks that they're interested in trying to get um, J-Ram, which I don't – that would be insane if they got Jose Ramirez uh, to play at second base because that, that would be – that would be insane. Yeah. And then a lesser known, not a lesser known trade, but maybe a lesser impactful trade than some of the names we talked about here. Mike Miner goes to Cincinnati. That'll be good to know for DFS purposes because his home run issues are going to be a problem in Great American Small Park. And Amir Garrett goes to Kansas City and he will, he might not be the closer to start the year, but he could work himself into some closing opportunities. However, how many does he feasibly get? One, because they already have another option there. And two, I don't envision Kansas City contending for a league lead and wins by any means. But you don't have to win a ton of games to generate a lot of save opportunities. Like, that's why we talk about – Right. You just have to have a mediocre enough offense to put up at least three runs, right? It's my argument every year for, like, a Pittsburgh closer. Typically, they let one guy close the majority of the games. And if Pittsburgh ever going to be winning in the ninth inning, it sure as hell not going to be by a lot of runs. Right. Yep. I've had that same – I've had that same thought on closers – um, my thought on closers is exactly my same thought on kickers in fantasy football. I want closers that are on mediocre offenses, just like I want kickers who are on mediocre offenses, who are going to get you to kind of field goal range, but not much further. And then you're going to rack up the field goals, right? For closers, I want teams that are capable of winning, but not going to blow you out, right? So, like, I've never been on board with closers for, like, the Yankees, or the Dodgers or the Astros when they were lighting people up because they just don't win that many games by that many close scores. So, yeah, these guys get lockdown closers, but how many opportunities do they typically get, right? If you look at when Gagne was with the Dodgers, those Dodgers offenses weren't winning games by, like, seven runs. They were winning them by two and three runs. So... That's kind of that's kind of where I sit with closers is targeting mediocre offenses. And it's I mean it's not a bad move. And you look at save opportunities for last year, like, yep, Giants, Mariners, Dodgers, they all won a good bit of games. They had a lot of save opportunities, but also inside the top ten, you had the Nationals, as you know, who you know yep. Padres won under eighty games and Phillies were in the top ten and they only were only two games over five hundred and the Mets were right there just and they were under five hundred as well. So something to keep in mind. There Now, of course, we did have a ton of big name signings. You can read all of these in the free agent tracker. Their player, their player outlooks are updated on the site. We can roll through these, some of these relatively quickly. Freddie yep. Freeman goes to the Dodgers. Uh, he becomes another good player in that offense. I think they have like Trey Turner and Mookie Betts and AJ Pollock and Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger and Will Smith and a bunch of other players that would probably be starting. Max Muncy, Justin Turner, yep. Gavin Lux. There are going to be players that would start on 29 other teams in the league that will not start for the Dodgers. It's just yep. how it is. So Freeman, like you said, lineup, same thing. Sure, maybe leaving Truist Park will affect them a little bit. But I don't know. Dodgers has been a launching pad for the last four yeah. years. So. And he's just he's too good of a hitter. He just and he gets so good course. across the board. Now he gets like nine games in cores. Yep. So Freddie Freeman still a top two or three option at first base, depending on who you ask. Uh, there's two signings here of sluggers that I like, both of which we had kind of talked about would love to see in Colorado, one of which went there, one of which didn't. So Kyle Schwarber goes to the Philadelphia Phillies. Great hitters park for him. 
although his power plays anywhere. So I was never really concerned with him. And then I, I'm going to let you go on this one. Cause I don't even know what to make of this one. I love the Kyle Schwarber deal, but Chris Bryant goes to Colorado in what might be the most shocking move of the off season. And not because we actually got a slugger in Colorado, but the fact that one, someone signed in Colorado and two, that Colorado paid up because their MO is not to pay up for people. So Kyle Schwarber and Chris Bryant. Yeah, so Schwarber, uh, as a Nats fan, I'm a little bitter that he went to Philadelphia, and it's a four-year deal, so i got to watch that guy hit long shots uh, for the next, you know, four seasons. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that Kevin Long is Philly's hitting coach, who was the Nationals' hitting coach uh, previously, and did a lot of wonders on Bryce Harper swing, did a lot of wonders on Kyle Schwarber swing, and left-handed power plays really, really well in Philadelphia. The biggest shocker was was Chris Bryant. Um, not necessarily that they were interested in Chris Bryant. I can understand why. A, he's a slugger. B, he's a middle-of-the-order bat. Uh, you know, C, he's very good defensively, and you can put him anywhere, which helps because they got a bunch of dudes that they're trying to play a lot of places. Um, the confusing part for me, though, is Colby, correct me if I'm wrong. They had a guy last year or two years ago, I guess now, uh, named Nolan Arenado, right? Mm-hmm. They they had Nolan Arenado. They traded Nolan Arenado away. Do you happen to know what how much money is left on Nolan Arenado's deal? I know you tweeted it, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Five years for $164 million is what's left on Nolan Arenado's deal, which, by the way, the Rockies are still paying part of due to sending $51 million and Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals last year. They signed Chris Bryant for seven years and $182 million. I don't understand why they wouldn't just keep paying Nolan Arenado less money to play third base. And now it comes out from Bud Black about 45 minutes ago, who is the manager of the Rockies, that they're going to play Chris Bryant in left field a lot. I mean, okay, he can play left field, but, like, what does that mean for third base? Is Ryan McMahon your third baseman? Is Eloise Montero your third baseman? Is uh, Brendan Rodgers your third baseman? Is Chris Bryant your third baseman, and you're going to play Connor Joe in left field occasionally? Like, I I don't understand this, this move, essentially, because they – could have just held on to Nolan Arenado. And then if you wanted to go sign Chris Bryant to pair up with Arenado, make a lot more sense. But also it's the same franchise that didn't trade Trevor Story when they had a shot to get stuff for him. And now they're going to let him walk for basically a comp pick. And so it's going to be Chris Bryant and a lot of nobodies for like seven years in Colorado. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure Arenado grew frustrated with ownership. So that probably played an element into it too. But just because he goes to Coors Field and talking about Chris Bryant, just because he goes to Coors Field, last year was a career low fly ball rate for him and his ground ball trend line, ground ball rate is steadily increasing. You can't get home, hit home runs and you can't get it into that Colorado jet stream if you don't loft the ball. So that's something to keep note. I think he'll be just fine. He should be just fine from a power standpoint. His career high is 39 back in 2016. I don't quite think he's going to get there even in Coors Field. So I think probably low to mid 30s is probably a good it's a reasonable expectation for him in course field with the mid 30 being probably his ceiling. Yeah. I mean, but you'll take it though. I mean, for sure. It still gets good average. And that outfield is going to help his 
slugging because he's going to get a whole lot of doubles down those gaps in left and left center and right center. And hopefully, hopefully the stolen bases remain. Those 10 steals were quite nice last year. Hopefully they remain. Another interesting signing. Money-wise was fine, I thought, for the most part. But Seiya Suzuki goes to the Cubs with the money they gave him. He figures to play more often than not, perhaps even in an everyday role. Good power speed guy. I Great plate discipline, too. When you look at his numbers, he had some years in uh, overseas where he had more walks than strikeouts. I would temper expectation with his speed a little bit. I don't think he's going to come over and be a 15 to 20 stolen base guy. Call me a pessimist. But I think all things considered, in his first year in the bigs, adjusting to everything in Major League Baseball, I would say 8 to 12 stolen bases. You'd be very happy with that. Yeah, I have him about 10 to 15 steals mm-hmm. and probably – 20 to 25 homers with the outside shot of 30, if everything goes right. Um, He's got sneaky pop in that swing, and that swing was meant for Wrigley Field, especially on days where the wind is blowing out. Um, Also, the NL Central has some pretty nice hitters parks in it with Milwaukee and Cincinnati and the Cubs, you know, Wrigley Field, pretty nice home park. Uh, About the most neutral one, I guess, is St. Louis. Um, so yeah, I, I think he'll be I think he'll be fine. Sounds like he was very excited to go to Chicago. Sounds like he hit it off quite well um, with their pitch team there. So um, yeah, we'll I mean we'll see what else they fill around around him. But I mean I know they got Jonathan VR um, earlier today, so it's decent. That gives flexibility and whatnot. We'll have to see how long it takes them to get Brennan Davis up. Um, but they're starting to rebuild there in Chicago. Yep. The other pitcher that signed was Zach Granke. goes back to Kansas City. He's going to go for round two in Kansas City. Honestly, with Granke, I don't think we have to touch too much on it. He leaves Houston, so his chances for wins are strongly diminished. He doesn't strike many people out. And he does a great job limiting hard contact. That's great. But if he's not going to get a good number of wins, if he's not going to get a bunch of strikeouts, to his credit, he won't walk a lot. So maybe he can help your ratios a little bit. But for me, I wasn't even really in on Granky because unless he went to an extreme pitcher's park or honestly just stayed in Houston where he had a good offense back him to rack up wins, he wasn't someone I was targeting due to that low strikeout rate. So Zach Granky goes to Kansas City. That's good. Gets paid to be their ace, but he doesn't. it doesn't move the needle for me for fantasy. And in fact, it really kind of just takes the needle off of the table, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm still going to take him. I'll take him as like an SP6 or an SP7, I guess. Just to help with ratios, because he'll pitch deep mm-hmm. enough into games to qualify for wins, even if he won't get very many from a lackluster offense. But it's a very good defensive team in Kansas City. Um, and that ballpark plays to his strengths. It's not going to let a lot of balls out of that ballpark. So the ratios should be pretty good there in, in KC. And then a couple of just last-minute signs that we'll kind of touch on here. We only got a couple minutes left before we wrap up the, this midweek edition. Uh, you kind of talked about Jonathan VR going to Chicago. They also brought in David Robertson to kind of add some more closing experience in the back end of that pen. You look at Atlanta, they brought back Eddie Rosario and they signed Colin McHugh, who is one of the original top 20 free agents that I had mentioned in an article at fantasyalarm.com. So let's pit these two up against each other. Which one do you like more? Do you like the VR and Robertson going to Chicago? I'm talking from a fantasy standpoint or the Eddie Rosario and Colin McHugh to Atlanta. Um, I think I actually might like Eddie Rosario and Colin McHugh better, to be honest. Um, I know they said Colin McHugh is going to be a late 
you know, kind of a reliever guy. But I think he can be a swingman for them, to be honest. Um, they need a little bit more depth in the back of that rotation, so he should be able to get some spot starts. And Eddie Rosario was great in his time in Atlanta last year. Um, he certainly was great in the postseason when he won, I think, two series MVP awards. Um, so, and, and, you know, he slots right into that, that outfield pretty nicely. He's not going to lose a bats when a when Cunha comes back because they're still going to need an outfielder out there. And that offense is still really good. Like, everybody freaking out about the Dodgers offense. Uh, I think you're underselling the Braves offense a little bit, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that. VR, if, if he was guaranteed a starting spot and the batting average was a little better, I'd be tempted to go there. But I think he's more of a super utility guy for the Cubs. I really, really wish McHugh, it'd be so cool if they would let him close because he was so damn good last year with switching up his arsenal a little bit. And he's what I, in the free agent tracker, basically what I said with McHugh was he's probably not going to close games and he's going to be their guy that extinguishes fire. So in mission critical situations, he's coming in there. The He's like the highest of high leverage guys outside of like the ninth inning. That's what he'll be for that pen. VR can play all over. I do think he works into an everyday role somehow. I don't know where it's going to come. It might be split amongst the three different infield positions, Sands, first base. But wherever he goes, he just hits home runs and steals bases. It's what he does. It's really what he's done. It's on four teams now in the past three seasons and outside of 2020. Double-digit homers, double-digit stolen bases in every season dating back to 2016. So I like VR a good bit. Another one that's interesting to me is Jock Peterson going to San Francisco. McCovey Cove should see quite a few home runs landing out there. And if you know Jock Peterson, he's going to swing for it every damn time. That's what he'll do. And he should be nice. He should, he should play more often than not. He'll be a good addition to that San Fran outfield. So he'll probably get an ADP boost with this. And it should still be a boost, unlike Chris Bryant, where we might approach a territory of where I just can't take Chris Bryant that, that soon. I don't think we'll get there with Jock Peterson. And I still think he'll be a good value for 2022. Yeah, um, and those surprised that he went to San Francisco. A, I'm pretty sure he's from the Bay Area, if I'm not mistaken. And B, <clears throat> do we not remember him strolling out onto the field after winning the World Series with a glass of wine? I mean, Napa Valley's not that far from San Fran. He enjoys the wine, so it seems like a perfect, you know, perfect spot. They know how to mix and match for lineups. I mean, keep in mind, this team won 107 games last year and nobody saw that coming. There's nothing to say they can't be good again this year either. So, um, I, I like that signing. I think it's a sneaky good one for Sam Fran. And yeah, I think McCovey Cove's going to get, uh, kind of pelted there with some, with some jock bombs. Yeah. And Sam Fran's also going to go with like a 13 man rotation with the way that they're signing starting pitchers this off season. So, there's some injury concerns in that rotation, so maybe they can offset it by saying, hey, you just got to throw once every two weeks. That's all you got to do to stay healthy and roll that way. So they got plenty of starting pitching. And, of course, since I haven't had an opportunity at all this offseason to work this team in, they made a signing. I don't want to say it's league-altering or fantasy-shattering, but Daniel Vogelbach is going to go to Pittsburgh, and he's going to play every day. That's just a matter at first base. DH doesn't matter. He's going to play with your third to last, second to last, maybe last selection if you're in like deeper formats. Obviously, your 10-team leagues, you're not probably going to be considering Daniel Vogelbach or maybe outside of three people on the Pittsburgh Pirates roster. 
But in deeper formats, I mean, Vogelbach's a nice source of cheap power. With every day at bats, there's no reason he can't hit 20-25 this year with Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm not crazy for thinking that, am I? No, I mean, if he gets out there every day, he's going to hit about 20-25. I mean, they got the DH, right? So the rest of the stats are not going to be great. Let's let's face that, right? He's not going to be driving in. A lot of these are going to be solo shots, given the rest of the Pirates' offense there. Um so not a whole lot of RBI, not a whole lot of runs, but cheap power can be had for Mr. Dan Vogelbach because we saw what he did in Seattle, right? I mean, he had decent pop in Seattle, and Pittsburgh is arguably a better hitter's park. So, Well, there you have it. Dan Vogelbach, 20 to 25 homers and 48 to 56 RBI confirmed. That's what we're Yeah, gonna it's going to be like a Mike Allstott stat line there where he's going to have Two touchdowns, but one yard rushing, right? Like, <laughs> that's all that's going to happen. If, hey, if Vogelbach was in the NFL, he might end up being a fullback. That might be a might be a good spot for him there. But, yep, cheap, cheap power late. Can't go wrong with it. And if you tack on speed or you just need some power bats late, Vogelbach won't be a bad option playing every day for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So this was the midweek edition, just catching up on everything that's happened in the past couple of days since the last time we recorded. If you haven't listened to this week's regularly scheduled podcast already make sure you go check it out at fantasyalarm.com again this was the midweek we'll be back next we'll record monday probably have it drop tuesday and i'm sure by then there's going to be a lot more stuff that we have to cover signings trades we're gonna have some spring training performances to talk about you know brian buxton through the first inning of the first spring training game one single one stolen base why should he now be considered with trey turner for the first overall pick Bobby Dahlbeck is getting a lot of buzz. He homered in his first at bat. There's going to be a lot of cool spring training performances to talk about on top of just all of the traditional transactions, acquisitions, and everything that occurs. But until we record next time, I believe, Matt, you'll have all of your normal racing content coming out, the 13 articles, 16 podcasts, and everything like that coming out. So make sure you check out all of Matt's stuff there, Fantasy Alarm, DFS Alarm, every other site that he's involved with, at The Salesman on Twitter. So for Matt Sells, I am Colby Conway, and we will see you in just a couple days.